Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've seen bad times at the El Royale. Yes, we have. <laughs> uh, a film I was really, really looking forward to. It's a, it's a sort of noir pastiche, uh, oof, Tarantino-y, um, sort of comic, twisty, hmm. fun, oddball, full of stars, uh, romp. Uh, romp. It's a romp. <laughs> um, I was hugely looking forward to it. It's directed, written and directed by Drew Goddard, who uh, is probably best known for co-writing with Joss Whedon and directing uh, The Cabin in the Woods. Yes, which I which like is very much. a hugely popular, yes. um, again, kind of pastiche of um, horror in all its various forms, but particularly the horror sort of staple of a bunch of kids go into the woods and start dying. Mm. That was the film. That was that's the that's what it was, um, lovingly mocking and taking apart. Um, this, in some respects, is doing something similar with crime thrillers, and particularly kind of, I would say, sort of post Tarantino uh, inflected crime thrillers, where the stories get chopped up and. Um, there's a, a playfulness in the way that the, the stories are kind of chapterized. Yes. Um, and you, you, you bring an ensemble together and then concentrate on different parts of them um, uh, individually and then you kind of bring them together. And um, there's, there's an awful lot of kind of referential, referentiality, if that's a word, to, uh, to genre. Mm. This is like this is like doing the same thing over again. Like, like Tarantino was already doing that and now he's doing it with Tarantino mm. in a way. Um, I don't want to go too heavy on Tarantino, but I felt a lot of it from the start. I mean, from the very beginning, actually, it felt like Four Rooms, which Tarantino was one of the four directors of. Mm. Um, and I don't, actually, I didn't have an awful lot to base that on, really, other than it was kind of in a hotel. I mean, but, but nonetheless, I, I st- it, it felt it had that, that kooky, <clears throat> offbeat feel of something's going to happen tonight yes, in this I, hotel. Yes. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the Tarantino because, you know, in a way, like, so, and let's get this out right away. I mean, I like the film very, very much, um, but I think it's a great screenplay that isn't delivered with the visual verve uh, or the movement or the, you know... Energy the, or the, life yeah, or vitality. of the Tarantino film. I agree. So... Um, so that said, you know, this, I think the screenplay is, is fantastic. It's very playful and fun. And the actors kind of are magnificent, I think, really. Um, you know, so, so there's a lot of play and uh, enjoyment uh, to be had out of it. Uh, and, and actually, I also found the end moving. Yeah? Mm. Um, so I think it works on all of those levels. And yet... It's lacking a certain something. It's lacking a certain something, yes. Um, to, to give the, the, the basic idea of the plot, um, I felt uh, when I watched the trailers that they were giving far too much away. And yeah, it kind of turns out that's not the case. There are lots and lots of questions that the film asks um, uh, of, its, you know, of its characters and their backstories and so on and so forth that, that are not actually approached by the trailers at all. Mm. Um, which I was you know, thrilled by because I 
hate when trailers give loads of stuff away. And I was thrilled to find out that there was so much more the film had to offer. You know, mm. um, the basic idea is there is this uh, hotel slash motel. I mean, you you do drive up to some of the to, to the rooms, um, but it's kind of a more more high class than it's, than, a, it's than meant, a motel. It's meant to be like what was it called? Harris at uh, Lake Tahoe, right. you know, the famous nightclub where Sinatra and Judy Garland and Dean Martin played. And it was like straight on the Nevada, California side. So all of the gambling had to be done on the Nevada side. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah. Oh, is that actually a... It's a, a real place. Oh, right, and I didn't know. It's a place, it's a, it's a place where I think, you know, it, it, was, it was run by the mob, by uh, uh, Giancana, and uh, Sinatra had a piece of it. And it's a place that I think John Kennedy partied at. I mean, I don't know what, how, 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 to what extent this is popular knowledge now. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was like, um, I don't know, it was in the air in, in American pop culture at a certain point. Yeah. Right. You so know, the same way that the Manson character and all of those things that the film draws on. Yeah, so... Um, this hotel has a line running right down the middle. It, it runs down the road approaching it, this big red line right down the middle. It goes straight through the car park and right down the middle of the lobby in the hotel, separating California from Nevada. Um, and you know, on the California side, you can get a drink. On the Nevada side, you can gamble. And uh, the, the, the rooms on the California side cost a dollar more. You start off with uh, Cynthia Erivo as this... Uh, singer, sort of soul singer, because mm. it's set in 1969, um, sort of soul, Motowny singer, meets a priest, played by Jeff Bridges, mm. who I just adore. I mean, I love the way he delivers lines these days. Mm. Basically, ever since he started to get properly old, he just delivers every line like he's had way too much to eat for lunch and he needs to laugh at <laughs> <his> belt. <laughs> like he starts off every line with a, <sighs> that sort of thing. I, um. love the, I love the way he speaks now. Um, and and they you know he sort of is slightly flirting with her and she's not too into it but he's friendly enough. Um, they get into the hotel and just no one's there. This place is clearly not what it was. Um, John Ham is this far too chirpy, uh, annoying sort of wasp of a regular um, who who is. It's a vacuum vacuum cleaner salesman, and he's all you know, giving business cards, and he's chirpy, and he's saying, "Oh, this place was great. I used to come in." But and um, uh, a cast of characters gets introduced and again. I mean, I suppose like a Tarantino, like like the Hateful Eight, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, like a bunch of people who all have their own stories get stuck in this place. Uh-huh. Um, they're all there for, for for one reason or another, and their interactions, you know, sort of sort of sort of bear fruit. Um, there's not too much to say really further than that without spoiling it because it gets into who the characters are and the reasons that they're there and the backstories and so on and so forth. And this forth. is actually a film that we don't want to spoil actually because no. uh, I think, like I said, I think it's a film that has a great screenplay and and actually uh, surprises uh, what happens and the way that the, you know, the film backtracks. So, you know, you get the history of each room in a way and the person in it, mm. right? And then kind of when they go on to the next room, you know, there are flashbacks, yeah, that kind of fill you in on um, different aspects of the story. Yeah. Um, so... And, and, and also, it, it, um, 
where it tells one story and then as it moves to another you see a part of a previous one shown from a different angle or something like these you know these stories are coexisting at the same time Mm. it's not a perfectly chronologically told story that's right so 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 the structure of the film is you know part of the great pleasure it it does actually surprise and it fills in i mean it's a film that's 141 minutes long and it just seemed to whiz by yeah to me a lot of it did. That, that was certainly the best section. Let's say that's the end of spoiler territory. Um, you know, th- that is, we really, we really are going to talk about stuff that, that you know, is, is plot detail that would spoil it. Do you think um, it should, though? Yeah, so, yeah. No, I, I, I think it's bound to come up and okay. we shouldn't, you know, that's... But before we do so, let me ask you, what do you think the film's about? What are its themes? Uh, memory, I think. I think it comes up a lot. And, it's, and I think that's one of the reasons that it has an interest in... Flashbacks as well, um, yeah, and and Jeff Bridges' character, so his his memory problems, and um, I think it's but that's that's just the Jeff Bridges character. No, no, but I think it's because there's also you know there's there's what's been happening in the other characters' sort of lives, and I think it's it's not just about about memory in terms of like you remembering stuff. It's about um, the memory of. People or kind of preservation of, um, of kind of what's good about people, despite other things. Like everyone in this film has done bad things in a way, or is or can be lured to do bad things. Well, I think that's what the film's about, you know, because every time that the mem- you know, the the question of memory is only really in 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 so far as everybody in this film has done terrible things. Right, uh, and terrible things that they want to forget or they want to be redeemed for, mm. um, you know, and that's kind of when the when the film's flashbacks or, you know, all of those elements kick in. Mm. So you know, I don't think it's about memory per se. I Not think... about literally memory, but but about the the the, the, the continuing impacts that those memories have on your life and and your 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 wish. Or inability to forgive yourself, that sort of thing. Yes, or or the damage that's been done to you. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think I mean I think that's what all the characters have in common in a way. Yeah, I, I mean I was going to say uh, except for the Chris Hemsworth character. This is what I was going to say. Like, I don't think there's one single reading that that captures every character, but there's a combination. There's like a Venn diagram that covers a lot of them. They all share something with someone else, yes. if not necessarily everybody. But there are characters who are damaged, and there are characters who are more likely to do damage. Mm. But that it, that it, like in itself is something that they are not necessarily happy with. Um, Actually, probably the character that maybe doesn't fit into that at all is the John Hamm one. Um, I suppose... Um, Let's get out of spoiler territory. We are going to have to talk about plot spoilers. Right. We are, we are no um, longer in, in spoiler-free territory. Well, I mean, it's true. So, uh, because, I mean, there are, in a way, two outsiders, yeah? Uh, so, John Hamm is just an FBI... Uh, agent, and basically he only gets into trouble because he tries to do the right thing mm. and against orders tries to rescue this, what seems an innocent young girl who in fact turns out not to be innocent at all, uh, and therefore he gets killed. Right. Soon. So, uh, he doesn't have a backstory. Yeah, he doesn't have a memory, or yeah, he's, mm. we're not given his past. 
And Chris Hemsworth is a Charles Manson-like cult leader, uh, you know, and also we're not given a backstory. We only we see him in the past, but only as part of one of the girl stories. Yeah, one of yeah. The, two, the stories of uh, yeah. uh, uh, this young girl who's been abused and who's been protected by her sister and who now finds herself in a cult, and the sister tries to go and rescue her. So, you know, we see him in a flashback uh, in terms of how they meet. And uh, Chris Hemsworth is really kind of presented as someone who gains all this power as a cultish figure, but really mainly because of the sexuality he exudes. Yeah, he's presented actually as like a, a year 2000 beach rat. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I said to you in the cinema, like, clearly he's incredibly sexy. But there's no way that his chest looks like that in 1969. You know, I know. He, it would be so hairy. Actually, I didn't like his performance at all. I wasn't hugely a fan um, of it, but uh, I think I mean I, I think I think it's a it's just something I it's a it's a nuance I didn't like about the film that I think it could have perfectly well got away with a 1969 sexy version of Chris Hemsworth, you know, and and, and made it funny. What made me a little bit despair because you know I think Chris Hemsworth is a very good actor. And he's very charismatic, and I like him very much. But I think he's becoming one of those actors whose idea of giving a performance is transforming his body, right? Mm. So it's very clear that he's lost a lot of weight, and he's become a lot leaner. He doesn't look like Thor. But on the other hand, you know, he's clearly someone who still goes to the gym for four hours a day, right? Mm. Yeah, and, and his idea of giving a performance is actually just to have gotten leaner. Right. I don't like anything else that he does. I don't like the way that he reads his lines. I don't like the way that he dances. I don't like the way that he uses his body. Uh, and in fact, you know, outside of having his body, you don't understand why he's so charismatic. You know, and, and actually mm. the body just can't be enough on its own. So actually, I, I didn't like that performance. But maybe the best is yet to come from Chris Hemsworth because he's basically doing in this film what Matthew McConaughey did for about 10 years in the late 90s. And early two thousands, which is just take your shirt off and like that's the same as acting. And now, <laughs> and now Matthew McConaughey is doing some really really great stuff. Yes. So you know maybe well, maybe it's just a phase. <laughs> I loved I loved him in Rush. So you know we we live in hope. Um, <laughs> He's very good as Thor as well. To be fair, he is very good. Um, um, but so, it, but it, this is not a stand-up performance, and and it's a, and it's a performance that that you'd hope would be scene stealing because he's basically in charge of an awful lot of the back half of the yes. film. Um, um, one of the things that I want to mention is the soundtrack, because I, ha I have mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, I love every single song. It's like 1960s pop music. It's, it's the Supremes and Motown and, you know, R&B and, you know, and everyone will recognize all of the songs, mm. really. And on the other hand, I don't know if it was the volume or the way that they're, they're put into the film but they lacked the power and the energy, you know, they didn't bring the power and energy of the original recordings to the scenes that they were in. No, the scenes, the, 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 best, the best kind of examples of, of, of music being used in film transforms a scene. Mm. Um, and nothing in this film does that, does yes. it? Um, there are times when when what's her name Cynthia uh, 
Cynthia Erivo's singing, yes, uh, actually, I think comes close to doing that. Yes, um, and it's and it's not just that she sings. I mean, it is used. It's a it's a plot device as well, um, and it's a and it's a character thing as well between her and uh, Jeff Bridges. Um, I mean, I love the part where where he he said, "Don't sing for Chris Hemsworth's character. He doesn't deserve to hear you sing." That's so beautiful. It is, and he's so great. My um, God, <laughs> but. Um, there are times when the music, I think, I mean, the music elevates certain scenes, you know, uh, and it raises tension. And in, con- in conjunction with the editing, I, I don't remember what song it was. And I don't actually really remember the part of the film it was. But there's just a point where um, you think, I, I think it's where Dakota Johnson is sort of just maybe going to shoot the, uh, the kid who runs the hotel mm. because he knows too much. And the tension is being raised, and there's a song that's been put on on the jukebox and the editing starts to speed up and you mm. think this is going to happen and the music it contributes to that. So it's not like the music is, is useless in, in that sense, but it doesn't define anything in no, the way it, that it could. I mean, the music is great, actually. It's a, it's a truly great score, but it's not used inventively and often it's just used as a background context to something else mm. rather than activating something else or being used in conjunction to, you know, to transform something else. Um, so, so it feels like the film just doesn't have an instinct for that. It's not like it wasn't trying. Yeah, but it doesn't have an instinct for it. I I actually feel that the film, and again, I'm going to sound contradictory because I do like it very much, but actually, I think part of the problem is that the film doesn't have, seem to have an instinct for cinema. You mm. know, uh, so you know, as I said, the screenplay I think is really really good, but on the other hand, I don't know if you noticed, but almost everything is shot at eye level. Yeah. You know, kind of, there's no variation of angles, kind of, you know, there's no attempt to kind of create something with the way that you show something, you know, it's, it's, it's odd. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's a set, there's a, there's a great kind of sense of visual design in the, in the, in the in sets. The sets. Yeah. yeah. And the, and the production design, I think is wonderful. And you certainly get a sense of the era. I mean, you get this really rich sense that, that this hotel was something 10 years ago, hmm. you know, in the late fifties. Uh, an early sixties, like this place was the place to be. You yes. get that, and the, and it's and it's not anymore. It's on its last legs, and it's it, you know every, it, the world has changed around it. And the film does a little bit of sort of you know Nixon on the TV that gives you this sense that like 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 time has moved on. Yeah, you know, it's and no longer the ten era. years later. Exactly, yeah. it's no longer the era of 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 this place, and so yeah. it's 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 this kind of style that hasn't changed, but is now dated. Yes, um, that's great. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's a really good way to putting it that a film doesn't have a cinematic instinct. Mm. It's it it's not captivating enough visually. Yes. Um, which is a problem. And I think in some in some senses, I think the pacing is not great. So I think um, I, I, I think I was I was hinting at saying the section of the film, basically the first half, I suppose, or just after the characters of just, just when things start to get. Um, when when questions start to be raised about the true nature of what's going on here, mm. when um, John Hamm gets into his honeymoon suite and starts opening the phone mm. and finding microphones all over the place, and so that's when the film starts to get so interesting, which is very early on. Mm. Questions start to be asked. You go, who the hell is John Hamm? Why, why does he know to get into the phone? Why does he know to look for all these things? Why are there two different microphones? Um, how does he know, you know, and then he gets underneath the hotel or in, in the kind of back room, mm. uh, which you see in the trailer. Um, 
where there's all the two-way mirrors and he can look into every room and hear what's going on, what the hell's going on here, and but, also why are these people doing these very things in these rooms. So all of a sudden the film makes just has so many questions and your imagination runs wild with possibility. And once questions start to be answered... I, I just I don't think that any answer the film gives can be as good as the tension raised by what the questions are. That's a, a, an issue I had with the film. Okay, well, um, I can see that. Uh, and as to the pacing question, which I, 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 was, I started off with, it's that once, once the film settles down a little bit, um, which I think is really when Chris Hemsworth joins in the fun, um, the film, I think, slows to a crawl. Well, you see, I think for me that like I be I. It it to me it was enjoyable throughout, mm. but I really began to have problems once uh, John Hamm discovers the, you know, so so this uh, motel, a hotel which had one point been really really fancy, you know, has really been outfitted as a place for blackmail. So it's got this back room, you know, and it's got cameras. And the mirrors are all two-way mirrors. And actually, you can press a button and get the sound from the other room or stop the sounds from the other room. Now, you know, just think of what an imaginative director could do with all of those possibilities, mm. right? With the mirror, you know, with the see-through, with the shutting and starting of sound, you know, with this back corridor, you know, that is just a corridor, but it could be full of surprises. Somebody could come in at any time, right? Or is there some tension? Maybe, you know, part of the two-way glass might have been scratched and actually something could be seen through. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities, visual, and actually in terms of creating suspense or actually of, you know, creating tension with sound, mm. that that fantastic idea of having that corridor could have been used for, and, and it's nothing. Mm. You know, you just see it as, like, a corridor. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, uh, 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 I, I, I think that's right. Like, the, like, really what I'm saying is is the questions that that raises about what the hell's going on and what, what is going to then happen are really in there at script level. Yes. They're not raised by... Um, by the way the story is told, you know, and and um, I, I mean, I, I think it's it, it's I like when I like it's a long take when John Hamm um, is looking at the various rooms and he, and he walks between them. He sees Jeff Bridges in the one digging up the floor, and he, and he sees. Um, so I'm going to keep forgetting her name because I don't know who she is. But. Uh, Cynthia Revo in the next. She's a Broadway star who was in the Color Purple, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've looked her up, and but I just don't know her, so no. I need to learn her name. <laughs> Cynthia Revo in the next room, uh, singing. She's she's rehearsing, practicing her singing, and that's and he turns that sound on, so you hear this the whole mm. way through. And then a couple of rooms down, it's uh, Dakota Johnson bringing in this 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 tied up girl, her sister. Um, you don't know that, but um, and he and he kind of goes back and forth between them, and. Um, as interesting as that was, like you, you are kind of thinking like, um, his his attention is, his attention should be divided. I mean, a he's he's learning about this nuts thing that's happening in this hotel. There's this crazy back room. What the fuck? And then also like, the, how is he going to kind of split his time between the various rooms? He seems to spend most of his time listening to. Uh, Cynthia uh, Erivo sing, which which I would be like definitely looking at one of the other. <laughs> but I, I thought it was also a sign of that scene that you just mentioned. I thought that was also a sign of what a poor director uh, Drew Drew Goddard mm. is, because you have um, the Dakota Johnson character who's bringing in 
this teenage girl all tied up into this room, right? And, you know, you're seeing it from a two-way mirror. So you see that the motel door is open and there's just her car visible, right? And there's no sense of tension. She's not peeking out to see if anyone's looking mm. or if anyone's spotting her, bringing anybody out of the car. The door just remains wide open. And you'd think, actually, just, mm. just by shutting that door or by looking out... Or, you know, like, you yeah. can create all kinds of tension. No, the door's just wide open. You're kind of learning in a very calm way. And there is, and I think the fact that it's done in a long take where the camera moves back and forth up this corridor following John Hamm, and then it kind of, it moves in on one of the two-way mirrors at times, so then, so you see, uh, you know, whatever the action is on the other side, and you see John Hamm's reflection in it, and it's like, that. that's, oh, isn't that clever? It's not that clever, mm. <laughs> unfortunately. It's kind of, I mean, it's nice enough, and I, I guess it would be a missed opportunity if he didn't do it, but it's not doing much. Yeah, visually the film doesn't offer much, and um, I mean, you know, I agree about the set design and all that, that is really great, but it's not mm. filmed excitingly. No. Um, and if it is pastiching classic noir, and if it is pastiching Tarantino noir, um, I mean, the visual possibilities are just endless, like, and they should be. And actually, there are like specific shots you should be uh, copying, mm. if if nothing else, you know, or referencing. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it doesn't do that. No. Um, can we talk a little bit of, about the performances? Because actually, I want to tr backtrack a little bit. I was saying, you know, how great I thought they were, and then I thought, well, actually, mm, you know, Chris Hemsworth, I didn't think was that great, you know. Uh, and really, I mean, Dakota Johnson was fine, but. You know, she wasn't great. I like her presence. Um, she, I, I like the sense that she has, and this is not the first one that I've seen her kind of do this in, that she, um, she has this sense of being like a quiet one in the room, but one who knows better than other people. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I do. Um, and I, I like that, that sense she brings to, to, to her character in this. She had, a, you know, she had very good moments at the end. Um, you know, with the sister that she's been trying to rescue and who doesn't try to rescue her back. Um, but mm, I also <laughs> thought that John Hamm, you know, I mean, for the first 10 minutes of the film, I thought he's never going to get over being John Draper, really. Don Draper. Don Draper. Well, I've said this before, I think that uh, John Hamm, having seen him in, do other stuff since Mad Men, which he's fantastic in, obviously, I feel like he's never ever going to be able to play a character who is not set in the 1960s. But this is exactly that's my point. Oh. But I think he's kind of fine in this. I, 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 once I got over, he was annoying. But actually, then I started to sink into that is the point of him. Noel, I think I, though, as we later learn, it isn't quite. So, I think he got he got into a rhythm as the film unfolded, or maybe I got into a into his rhythm, hmm. you know, as the film unfolded. Um, but I kind of, you know, the first, the first 10 minutes or so I thought, what's he trying to do? And, you know, it's, it seems a bit jarring and, you know, he's trying to be funny and jokey and it's not quite working. And it did kind of work for me. I've got to say, uh, it did take me a second to acclimatize, but then I think that the tone that he's helping to set is interesting because, um, he's, he's so at odds with the other characters that you get the feeling that like this is this is an audible kind of mm. movie actually. It's not that he's out of place. Like everything is kind of mm. um, off kilter in this. Um, so I I liked that. I mean, in a way, this is a film that sort of has so many stars because none of the none of none of these stars' careers relies on this film doing well. In a way, they can have fun with it. You know, they're but, all little character pieces. I know, but on the other hand, I so you know. 
I did think that um, Jeff Bridges was completely great. Mm. You know, that like his line readings and his gestures and, you know, his way of conveying like kind of so much mm. uh, in so many different ways was, I just thought, fantastic, really. He served really well by the script and also uh, by um, Cynthia Rebo when he acts opposite her. Those two share great scenes, yes. particularly the one in the, it, just in like the bar, he, he invites her out for, for dinner and um, and when he talks about um, his memory uh, problems. Yes. You know, I mean, you kind of, you know at this point, like this guy, I don't really trust this guy, he's up to something, but you believe every minute of that, and which is lucky that it turns out to be true because I hate, I would hate it if he delivered this kind of uh, really sad story about, about not knowing who he is at times because he forgets literally mm. where he is and who he is. Um, he delivers it so beautifully and I would hate if the film then went, no, he was making that look to, to con uh, Cynthia Erivo's character. Okay, and so I'm, I'm so glad that it's like, no, this is actually for real. There is something real underneath here. I thought, I thought this, the scenes uh, between uh, Jeff Bridges and Cynthia Erivo were very good. I thought the scenes with Cynthia Erivo on her own were actually not as, as good as I would have liked them. You know, the whole thing where she's singing and he's trying to uncover the money on the beat. Mm. I just kind of, I thought she was stiff, mm. you know. Mm. And, you know, it's partly motivated because, you know, she's got something else going on. But, you know, she could have pretended she was looking at herself in front of the mirror and dancing or, yeah, it just kind of, mm. it's, it's, she seemed stiff yeah. in some moments. The person who I thought was entirely Jeff Bridges' equal is Lewis Pullman. Uh, as um, the the young lad, the concierge. Yes. Yeah. He's he's the he, you know he's the bellboy, the concierge, everything in the ho in this hotel, and also you know he is the person who's filming all these people, uh, and then you find out that he's a junkie, you know, and he's a Christian, <laughs> and he's been in Vietnam. Mm. So and he's just fantastic in every aspect of it. You know, he's fantastic as the shy and clumsy you know, employee, mm. right, who has to um, give a rote reading of employee, you know, yeah. welcome, right? Uh, he's, he's fantastic uh, uh, when he's caught out and he feels guilt at what he's doing. You know, he's fantastic in the action scenes. He's fantastic in the dialogue bits where he's trying to find redemption from Jeff Bridges, right? Mm. Like, I mean, you know, the scenes of them two together, and particularly the final scene, is just mm. beautiful. Yeah, he doesn't put a foot wrong and he's fantastic. And I don't know what else he's been in. He has this um, innocence and, and sort of shyness about him, which is really sweet. And then you see him, uh, John Hammond covers him with a, a needle in his arm, slumped yes. to sleep and you go, fuck me, okay, so something's up with this kid. Yes. I'm interested in this. I mean, he is um, probably the, the most, he's the richest drawn character of a lot of them. Uh, you know, there are, every character, there's no character... A, Apart from, I suppose, John Hamm and uh, Chris Hemsworth, there is, there's no character that's just a sketch. Yes. You know, every character has something to, to latch onto and something that the actor has to latch onto as well that they can, yes. they can bring out. But none has as much that in, in their character um, as, as the bellboy. Yes. Um, and, oh God, he, he's, it's, he's blinding. And he's absolutely heartbreaking. There's no way... that he's, he's sort of the most blameless 
one of the lot, really. Yes. Um, and yeah, um, he he he's he's had an awful life. He's he's killed all these people. That you find out much later that he's he's counted everyone he killed in Vietnam. And the tragedy is that he was so good at it. Yes. Um, he's a crack shot, and um, so when he, I mean, there's a there's a real subtlety in he. When he has the opportunity to save everybody at the end by picking up the gun and, and killing all the baddies that are there to, to mm. you know, the Chris Hemsworth guys, the Manson family, <laughs> um, he's, he's saying, I don't want to, I can't do it, I can't kill more people, I can't kill more people, despite the fact in this case it is clearly the right thing to be doing. Mm. And uh, when Cynthia Revo says, I get it, you, you've, you've seen his flashback now, it cuts right in, you see his flashback of, of being someone who is very good at killing people in Vietnam. Um, and Cynthia Revo says, it's okay, you don't have to. And then he does. Um, and and, he, and it, it's, 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 a, it's a sequence which um, I think is very well done, actually, because it, it could be heroic. It could be the heroic kind of, the guy who's good at this is now saving the day by killing everyone in one shot with these amazing skills. Mm. And it's clearly, that is what it is, but it's not heroic. It's just, it's... Um, it's he, the subtlety is that he has this freedom. He, he does now that he's been assured he doesn't have to. He can. Yeah. He can do the right thing because in this particular case, yes. it's not the same. And um, I feel for him. You know, yeah. feel for him so much. Well, he draws you to it. Actually, you see. So I thought there were two things because I think Jeff Bridges is just extraordinary. Because he makes you understand and feel all of these things with a nothing of a character. I mean, when you're talking about characters not being fleshed out, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a concept or he's a plot point even. You know, so he brings all of these things through, you know, his body, his face, the way he says things, you know, kind of uh, little gestures. You know, he really kind of makes you understand somebody you know, who was once powerful, but who's forgetting, right? But who's, yeah, it's mm. just, uh, he, uh, he, he makes you feel and understand this person. But it's not in the script, really. You know, he, he creates that. Whereas the young boy has, like, you know, I mean, his, his, he's got a wonderful character to play. But then, my God, does he play it, you mm. know? Um, mm. So I think for me, those were, those, those were, the two great performances in the film, because then um, the the young girl who falls in love, uh, uh, who runs away from home and falls under the clutches of Chris Samsworth, I think her name is Kaylee Spaney. I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. She's got a lovely quality, you know, mm. um, this kind of, you know, Lolita, innocent, slightly mad, you know, uh, <laughs> And then you see how she can be edged into violence, right? Mm. So I think, you know, she she does evoke that. But on the other hand, you know, the character is also a cliche and then there's nothing there, right? Mm. So there's not much to, to be done, you know, though I think, you know, she has the right look and she and she does it well, right? Um, so it's it's an interesting thing because actually so much of it rests on the performance. And as I said, None were bothersome, like you know. Even when I'm when I'm um, talking about um, Chris Hemsworth and John Ham and John Ham, mm -hmm. right? Like they're not terrible, right? 
but I, I just thought they were lacking, really. Mm. Um, so anyway, I thought kind of, you know, that, that was interesting how, you know, with it, within this ensemble, then you really can, you know, mm. uh, um, extrapolate, the, you know, what, what is truly marvelous. And they, are, and they really are marvelous. They're kind of a great pleasure in the film to watch. I think it's a, 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 just a little bit unfair to the, to the script to, um, to describe uh, Jeff Bridges' character as so much of a sketch. Because I think you're right, there's not an awful lot there, but, um, but you know, that, that scene that I mentioned, that the, 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 what he says to uh, Cynthia Revo's character um, about his memory loss, like, it's, a, it's an amazing performance and it elevates what's there, but you can't do it if it's not on the page. And it's a well-written scene. Okay. It's a really well written scene. Fair enough. And there's the death scene as well, right? Which is, mm. you know, it's written. Yeah. So. Um, but you're right that, he, that, that his performance elevates everything. Yeah. So, um, I mean, is there anything more that you want to add? I think. I, was, I guess I, I kind of was, was uh, trying to think about. Um, uh, it sounds like a silly question to ask in a way, but like, what is the point of the film or what is the. Well, that's. It's all, I, I, and obviously, like, the point is, it's, it's a lot of fun, right? And it's, um, uh, it's worth it for its own sake. It is good fun, despite the. You know, I have issues with the pacing, we have issues with little bits here and there. Overall, it's, it's uh, really good fun. Um, but I guess it, in terms of sort of how does it maybe reflect on morality and violence and the way they are depicted and, and what they kind of mean, is the film empty in that respect or is it well you know at the beginning when I was asking you what's it about you know what are its themes that's kind of partly what I was mm. trying to get at because you know if it's trying to tell us something about redemption about kind of you know people forgiving themselves and kind of being forgiven for actions that are considered uh, illegal and immoral you know um I actually don't think the film has interesting things to say about it or does it in an interesting way. No. You know? Uh, and, of course, the, the thing also is that the film... Uh, you know, the sins are a very different kind. So, presumably, you know, with the uh, uh, lounge singer, you know, you get the impression that she was bullied into sleeping with, you know, this producer, right? Um and has regrets about it and she's met kind of many men like the Chris Hemsworth character the Chris Hemsworth character is somebody who's very frail and manipulates people sexually into kind of doing what he wants but he's got no remorse um, you know uh, the, even the John Hamm character is lying about who he is you know to fulfill a mission uh, the Jeff Bridges character he robbed a bank well you know that's <laughs> not the end of the world that's not the same as you know <laughs> having killed 123 people, <laughs> right? You know, and then there's also something that's thrown in because you see the, the, the hotel was used as a place to blackmail people, right? With these two-way mirrors and so on. So there's like a MacGuffin about, you know, a film of a very important person, right? Mm. Uh, that was never handed in to the FBI, uh, to the BFI. To the BFI. <laughs> um, so, you know, and really the suggestion, if, and certainly if it plays on the Harris legend, is, is that it would have been the president of, it would have been John F. Kennedy. Mm. Um, 
And but that's really like a MacGuffin, really. Mm. Uh, so the film has its MacGuffins. I mean, the thing about the, the you know the the bag of cash under the floorboard. Yes. Classic, perfect. You know yes. that. And that's one. Of the, I think that's one of the like first indications that this is like you know. Like I say, a romp, you know. Yes. Like, there's there's money under the floorboard, and someone has to go but, and get it. But the thing about romps, the thing is, you know, so you know, we're talking Hitchcock here. Then, mm. you know, Hitchcock is always a romp in the sense that he's always fun and he's always exciting, you know. But there, there's always more to Hitchcock than just you know fun and excitement and this, you know, extraordinary use of technique, right? You kind of, mm. you know, he has things to say. I'm not sure that this film does. No. Um, and and also as you say that that the, um, lack of uh, cinematic uh, joie de vivre uh, is an issue. Well, um, now really, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, so I think, I, and actually, so so because that's not something that, that Hitchcock lacks. It's not something that Tarantino lacks. And you know, think of how another director, as you say, would have would have um, just had the instinct for that and made something. You know, I think this is a film that might, at a certain point, gain a cult following because I can imagine it playing on television and it's got so many wonderful scenes mm. yeah, that, you know, I could imagine it being on and you being drawn into, you know, the Jeff Bridges character or, mm. you know, and so on. Uh, and actually, I also suspect that it's a film that will play better on television just because, just because it is so... Um, Dialogue and character rich. Yes. And, and doesn't doesn't rely on does, cinematic flair to... It doesn't rely on editing or lighting or angles or even much camera movement to convey mm. meaning or feeling, mm. you know. So it's really the, 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 the structure, the actors, and the dialogue that carries it. And, and one other thing I, I would say, which, uh, again, to go back to Tarantino for a comparison point, and I think something where this film is better... Than Tarantino, or that, you know, I think it comes off worse in, in in so many ways, really, that we've mentioned. But in this case, when Tarantino writes dialogue, he always writes his own voice. Mm. Tarantino's characters always speak like Quentin Tarantino, yeah. and in this, characters speak like characters. That's one thing about Tarantino that um, is so deeply indulgent, mm. and it's why you know, I mean, he always but he puts himself in them as well. Which God, I mean, that's worse than the Stan Lee cameos. Yes, <laughs> you know, at least Stan Lee only has four lines. But if and that reminds me, actually, we must say that one of the characters who plays like this kind of sleazy producer uh, who, you know, says something like, you know how much I get paid and you know how much you get paid, mm. you know, and then if you slept with me, you know, blah. That's Xavier Dolan. Mm. Uh, and he's wonderful, right? Um, so I just thought it's kind of worth highlighting because, you know, everybody really knows Xavier Dolan as the wonderkid Canadian filmmaker of you know, uh, all of those extraordinary uh, films that won prizes at Cannes and so on. Uh, so, but uh, he is also famous as an actor and he is incredibly good uh, in this um, one scene that he's got here, actually. Uh, just the one, but, uh, but he's excellent. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, so he did um, Tom at the Farm. Um, let me... Because I've seen them all, but... My memory shit. Director. He's directed uh, 10 films. My God. So, I Killed My Mother, uh, Heartbeats, Lawrence Anyway, uh, Tom at the Farm. Uh, Mommy was a big hit. I think uh, that's the one that prized, the one that prized at Cannes. He did the video for Adele, the Hello video. 
uh, and it's only the end of the world, uh, and Matthias and Maxime to come. So it really is quite an extraordinary filmography for a very, very young person. And, and then he was really, you know, wonderful in this uh, 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 mm. performance, you know, so kind of very impressive. Well done, Xavi. I hate young people who are successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, as to the box office, I'm just having a quick look. Um, the, the production budget of Bad Times at the El Royale uh, is said to be $32 million. Well, it's a pretty low budget for a studio film, I suppose. It's, yeah, it was kind of getting to sort of middling, but it's the cast and, and, the, and the set, isn't it? Well, if you think that, you know, the budget for A Star is Born was 68 or something like that, it's half that budget, so... Mm. Yeah. You know. Oh, no, I mean, it's, like I say, yeah, it's, it's certainly on that kind of cheaper side. Um, what it's taken in uh, two and a half days, three days, two and a half, I suppose, because it's, mm. it's still midday in America, um, is uh, $11 million worldwide. Yes, um, but that's which, okay. It'll make its money it'll back. Make, it'll make its money back. It'll, yeah. it'll. I think you're right. It'll have a, a decent sort of afterlife when it hits home media. Yes, um, it's so, the kind of film people will sort of say, "Oh, did you ever see this? Oh, you got to catch it. It's on yes. blah 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 Netflix." And to be honest, I would recommend it. Mm. I think it's great fun. Uh, I think it's it's the kind of film that'll be more fun for boys. Mm. Uh, and also, I, I do kind of also mean boys. Yeah, like kind of, <laughs> you know. I think uh, if you're, you know, if you're over forty, there might you might find, you know, more lax. Um, you might find it a little bit juvenile. A little bit juvenile mm. and a little bit thin. Mm. Um, but that said, you know, I do think it's kind of. I found it great fun, and I recommend it. Yeah, I found it decent fun. I think um, it, uh, like I say, that 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 second half or final third of the film began to really tail off for me um, when Chris Hemsworth is in charge of that, what should be such a huge sort of climactic scene at the, at the he craps table. He drops the ball. I think it's also the direction as well there. It's, yeah, but I mean, if you think about like the dinner table scene in Killer Joe, for instance, when, you know... I think the two can't... films aren't even comparable. Really. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I, do it's, know, I think I there, there's, there's mean, a similar... Tone that that, that, it, that could have been the, the the tension around that table is vast and there's but nothing. To, to be fair, you see, I think all of the other sections of the film also rely on the actors, and the thing is that the other actors carry the ball, mm. and then when it comes to Chris Hemsworth's turn, he drops it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Um, I think the, I think the conceptualization of his character is weak. I mean, I, don't, I think even just not not the like they could have done the Manson type character better, just a different type of character would have. Would have been better, maybe. Well, if you know, Someone you have a different type of character. If he's not a cult leader, then the relationship between the sisters doesn't make sense. I mean, you've got to drop those characters as well. Maybe, but maybe he's like maybe instead of that, he's he's some sort of powerful guy who, who that the little sisters fallen in with. So like that, it doesn't have to be a cult thing. But it could be some sort of he's incredibly powerful and knows he can get away with anything he wants because he know. runs the bar. Maybe he's the guy Look, who runs I mean, the, the hotel. The easiest, anyway, the easiest solution is get a fucking better actor who well, can do the part. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> <Get Matthew laughs> <McConaughey>. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the the cult figure and so on fits in with the era and the times, and you know, it evokes all of the Manson stuff, and you know, it kind of it renders it believable as a situation. In a way that requires little explanation. Yeah, so but there, there are other. I mean, like I said, I think a mob boss type of thing could also. Uh, you know, I, I, it's not the only version of the character that. Well, the, work, you know, it doesn't but, matter in a way. You have a, you do the, no, it as a mob boss, and then if the actor pl playing the mob boss doesn't carry it, you have the same problem. Yeah. I think the, really the problem here is the Hemsworth. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, but, 
so yeah, d- despite that, um, you know, I had I had a good time at bad times at the Albert Hall, and <laughs> I guardedly recommend it. Uh-huh. And um, and it ends on that 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 nice note of a, a sort of a, a friendship being formed. Yes. But not for long, because he's going to get dementia and die. Yes, very shortly. But until he does, he's looking very good, you know, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I mean, it's quite extraordinary, because he must be 70, and he's so handsome. And hot, really. Like, Ooh. he's sexy. Ooh. So. Oh, hello. Are you gay or something? <laughs> yes, does it ring a bell? I wonder how old he is, I'm just going to find out. I think he must be 70. He is 70 or something, he's 68. Okay, what year was he born? 50? 49. Okay, so he's 69. 68. We are 18, so if he's born in 49, we'd make him 69. His birthday's in December. Okay. And it's not December. <laughs> Close enough. So there you go. Uh, so oh, his um, dad was Lloyd Bridges. Yes. Yeah, I knew that. Um, yeah. All right. It's so a, it's a, a, a trifle, but a but fun, satisfying trifle. Yes. A chocolate trifle. We recommend it. We like trifle. We like chocolate <laughs> trifles. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. We are uh, on. Uh, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Um, and there you go. Yes, many more bad jokes to come. <laughs> Until I join in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh.